This is Dan Fagell, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. This week, we're doing three AI use cases. If you missed Monday and Tuesday's episode, please do go back and grab those. We had an episode on retail and cybersecurity, an episode on AI in logistics from an enterprise perspective. And today, we're focusing on AI for pricing and personalization in financial services. We interview Yaron Levy with Ernix. Ernix is a company focused on pricing and personalization for financial services products. They work in both the insurance and the banking space. We've talked a lot about compliance applications in banking. We've talked a lot about fraud detections and claim processing when it comes to insurance and when it comes to banking broadly. But we haven't really talked that much about pricing and personalization. How do we leverage artificial intelligence to customize what people are actually getting? Yaron gives us a decent perspective on sort of where AI is finding its way into insurance and financial services broadly and touches on some of the work that Yernix is doing in that particular area, again, the pricing and personalization side. A unique use case, a unique angle, and a little bit of a broader perspective as well from Yaron, which I certainly appreciate in this episode. If you haven't already downloaded it, be sure to grab our AI and insurance cheat sheet. That's emerj.com slash ins1. If you've been a listener for a long time, just go to emerj.com slash INS1. Be sure that you're on the newsletter and also grab a copy of the AI and insurance cheat sheet. Key terms, key use cases, a nice short resource uh, to get you started in this particular domain and hopefully a supplement for this episode. Without further ado, let's go ahead and roll right in. This is Yaron Levy with Ernix here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Yaron, uh, we'll start things off just by talking about kind of the current impact of artificial intelligence in insurance. If we kind of freeze time today at the time of this interview and think about where AI has kind of already made its way into insurance, how do you like to think about that? What do you see on your side? Okay, so actually it's a great question. And I think that if we look at AI, you know, if we kind of freeze the moment in time, as you'd mentioned right now, it's actually um, the adoption or the inclusion of AI in insurance right now is actually pretty limited. Yep. And there are there are a number of reasons. First of all, this is a, a highly regulated industry. It's a relatively conservative industry. And so as you think about kind of the methodologies, the models that insurance companies use to, let's say, things like predict risk or uh, manage claims, there is still quite a strong tendency to stick to things that have been working in the past the use of more traditional, I would say, kind of modeling uh, statistical techniques. And the adoption of, of AI is, is indeed quite limited. It is changing, but right now, I think if we kind of try and zoom in and see where, where the impact is, I would say it's kind of maybe in two cases. One is if you look at, around things like fraud and claims, whenever there's a need to identify, uh, let's say, a fraudulent claim in, in, in insurance, and, and you want to detect something that you haven't seen before because it's it's kind of an it's an outlier. This is where AI can play and can have quite a significant role. When you look at the more, I would say, traditional way of assessing risk, there are some, I would say, kind of baby steps in using AI to determine risk, things like actuarial risk, but it's actually very, very limited. Uh, there are, I would say, niches where AI is being adopted today. I'll give one example. We know that insurance companies today, in many cases, look at some of their benchmarking competitor pricing info that they can get from the market. In a lot of cases, in order to understand how you as an insurer price your products in comparison to your competitors, you need to make sense of out of this um, kind of competitive landscape data, 
And, and that, that information is actually very difficult to model and understand. I think in the, in the pricing stage, we're seeing that the use of AI is actually taking off quite well and, and quite effectively in terms of the ability to look at your competitive environment, process that data, and understand how that impacts what you're doing. If you look at the more traditional side of, again, looking at, let's say, risk, actuarial risk, which has been, you know, it's obviously it's a huge area of interest for insurance companies. Yeah, yeah. Still, the adoption is very limited. And I think it's limited for, I would say, kind of three reasons. First of all, uh, this is a highly regulated industry. And, and some of the AI models that are being used are, are black box techniques that a lot of um, insurance companies find it difficult to explain the kind of an outcomes. And, and that creates a problem both for them internally and uh, as, as well as from a regulatory environment. The second thing is actually some of the more traditional statistical models in a lot of cases just work. And um, if you try and challenge them by the more advanced AI techniques, then an AI technique does not necessarily outperform a traditional statistical modeling technique. Yeah. And I would say the third thing is really around just, um, you know, somewhat, I think, uh, you know, an insurance industry by itself is relatively conservative. The adoption of new methodologies is something that takes time and takes trust to build. And that's still a bit way off. Huh. Okay. So a few things you sort of talked about here, you mentioned obviously claims and fraud, and then you mentioned well, you're talking about actuarial risk. I guess I would I bucket that broadly under the function of of underwriting. So, do we say yes or no, and what price do we give this person? I mean, am, am I correct in that presumption? Yes, exactly. So, yeah. uh, yes, absolutely. Yep. So, yeah, underwriting. So, the the bulk of the you know when we look at the AI opportunity landscape in insurance, like across all the startups, all the enterprises, underwriting and, and claims are sort of the business functions that where the action is at. Your supposition here is that the underwriting side isn't really gaining as much traction and teeth in terms of adoption as fraud. And it sounds like part of it is tough to beat the original models. Part of it is really, really spooky to start basing things on black boxes if we could get the government on our case about it. Is this sort of a good synopsis of where, where you're headed? That's yes. And I think it's, it's actually it's a very, very good representation of where we are today. But, you know, I think that it will change. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll get into the future in just, uh, in just a moment, I guess, here. Although I think it's really interesting, you know, because we see relatively equivalent amounts of money, relatively equivalent numbers of new vendor companies approaching both underwriting and claims. But it seems as though maybe it's, it's we can suspect, or at least you're suspecting, that it is easier to calibrate how and when we pay out and whether this is fraud than it is to calibrate whether we say yes or no to somebody on the front end or what kind of pricing to give them. Yeah, I, I think it's it's mostly about kind of what you're trying to, um, kind of what it is that you're trying to accomplish from a business perspective. So if you look at claims and fraud, in a lot of cases, what you're trying to identify is something that is an outlier. You're essentially trying to catch outliers, right? So something that's irregular and unexpected and in that particular case, AI models tend to perform very well. So it's really, it's not so much about, you know, necessarily determining the payout amounts, but catching those potentially fraudulent claims yeah, yeah. where AI actually plays, um, you know, I think a, a role and where the type of AI models probably are able to catch things that traditional models have, have overlooked. It's really interesting, you know, to, to and maybe you have a little bit more color on this before we get into our second question, but it's interesting to suppose, okay, well, you know, these AI models, they're good at picking up on those subtle fraud factors 
that you know maybe humans wouldn't, right? We train it on a bajillion instances of fraud and a bajillion instances that we consider legitimate, and then we have the system sort of coax out what might be fraud, what might not be. So even if it doesn't make the decision for us, it can flag for the humans, hey, these are more likely to be fraud, or flag for the humans, hey, these ones are probably good. I sort of wonder, you know, what is it about the front end, yes or no, do I give this person insurance? that makes that less viable. I guess, is it more risky that the yes or no on the front end will lead to some kind of legal or, or regulatory consequences than it will as to whether or not we you know, suspect someone of fraud? If we deny them, maybe is, is there a harder you know, fist that might strike our face from the government than if we uh, say, hey, I think this is fraudulent, we're going to investigate? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. I think it's really about kind of understanding what are the outcomes? So if you have, first of all, let's let's look at uh, fraud first. If you have uh, something that's potentially a fraudulent claim, I think, um, you know, typically insurance companies have very well-defined processes and workflows to deal with potentially fraudulent claims. And so if you if you give this kind of black magic box that gives you more insights into potential fraudulent claims and just throw more stuff in it and identify things that are more suspect to claims, there's an existing process and I think it makes lives better for insurance companies. So there's only much that there is, there is a lot of gain. On the underwriting side, I think you have sound processes. And if you, have, if you interfere now with something that is perceived to be a black box technique, there's a real fear that you're going to be turning away good customers that you may be you know, letting through the door high-risk customers that traditionally you wouldn't want to potentially underwrite. And that's where I think the kind of the resistance lies. Huh. I mean, so to put a nutshell around this, is it safe to presume that the factors that give us some confidence that this is fraud or this isn't maybe are clearer, more succinct, more forthright, more easy to interpret than the factors of will this person actually pay for this policy if we give it to them or will it cost more to serve them than not? It seems like maybe it's just it's just easier to make the is this likely fraud or not case than it is to make the is this likely to make us money case. And, and so maybe for that reason, we can more succinctly say, okay, the system hinted at it, let's investigate versus on the front end where we just don't want to mess with the existing process. Yes, that, that, that's right. I think that it's about providing additional value, additional gains to the insurance company through, you know, potentially flagging some additional fraudulent issues where there's clear value right now. Got it. Cool. Okay. Well, I think that's a, a useful perspective for the folks tuned in. I'm, I'd be interested to, to garner some more thoughts on that same theme, but I know I wanted to dive into the future a bit too. You know, something about folks like yourself working at companies that are aiming to be on the cutting edge of insurance and AI, you got to think a lot about the future. You have to think about what is the zeitgeist we're stepping into? How are things going to be changing in the next five years ahead? When you look at how insurance is really likely to shift when it comes to further AI adoption, where do you see those biggest changes happening? Okay, so I think we have a very, very well-defined area where we believe that AI is going to potentially revolutionize the market altogether. And that is around, I would say, one key theme called personalization. If you think about it right now, when you as an individual go about and try and buy insurance, the process is typically that you're being offered um, a pretty standardized product. However, this is, this is changing. We see some early adopters changing this behavior, and we think it's going to completely 
alter the market in the next two to five years. And when we talk about personalization, it means that we are no longer as an insurance company offering standardized policies, but we are offering tailored policies, insurance policies that are tailored to your personalized needs, to your personalized financial requirements, to your personal risk in a manner that has not been available to date. And that is going to be facilitated through AI. Okay. Yep. And, you know, maybe I'll give you one example that I think has been discussed in the industry. And while it's, um, it's still kind of niche, we believe it's going to be to become mainstream. So if you think about car insurance, which is, you know, for, for the, the majority of us, when we talk about insurance, all of us buy car insurance. Right now, people generally buy standardized off the shelf car insurance policies. You know, they may vary some coverages, some add-ons and things of that nature. But by and large, these are standardized policies. However, if you think about a um, car insurance policy in the realm of having a lot of data about you as a, as, a, as a driver, about what your car, where you're driving, what kind of roads, what times of day, what is the purpose, uh, you know, how much you're driving throughout a year, that information is actually very, very important and when we know this is an insurer, we can tailor a personalized insurance coverage policy for you that is going to be adapted to your specific needs, to your specific uh, requirements, to your specific risk, and, and to your specific financial needs. That has not been possible to date, even though there's been a lot of talk about this in the industry. But we believe that through AI, this is going to be completely changed in the next two to five years. Got it. So let's dive into this a little bit. So when we talk about personalization, this is a different bucket than, I guess, underwriting. What you seem to be hinting at is people who are already customers, and then we kind of gauge their performance or activity uh, over time, and then sort of get a sense of what might be the fit for them after detection of that activity. That, that feels like that's one degree of personalization. The other side is personalizing on the front end based on all kinds of variants and sundry use cases. I presume it's hard to get somebody to install an IoT device in their car two years before they apply for auto insurance. Are you presuming this is mostly for existing customers or mostly for front end screening to determine what we want to give to a new customer? Actually, we think the um, IoT for an existing customer is obviously limited because there's this friction of, you know, there's really no incentive for, for a driver to install an IoT device upfront, right? Hmm. Uh, I mean, the, the only thing you're really giving up is, is behavioral information. You don't really know what the outcome is. I think it's actually going to impact the underwriting as well. And, you know, if you think about it, let's think about this the following way. Let's say that you're an individual, you live in a certain, at a certain address, and during the underwriting process, you give your address, you give your home address, your work address, and some hints about what is the typical usage of the car, you know, do I use this car to commute to work? Uh, how much, you know, what's the expected mileage per year, et cetera, et cetera. What is my, um, what is my family status? You know, how many, some in indications of my lifestyle. That by itself, even though I don't have an IoT device, can actually give me very, very strong hints on what a personalized insurance package, what is the type of personalized insurance package that I am likely to need? Because based on that, I know where... Uh, the insurer knows where I'm going to drive. They know how much I'm going to drive. They know at what times of day. There's, we can, they can then apply very detailed analytics 
and uh, risk profiling to the sort of roads that I will be, uh, I'm expected to drive in. All of that, you know, some of these underlying components already exist today. It's a matter of um, gluing the pieces together, sticking them together, putting a very strong AI um, layer with a personalization layer on top of that in order to use that together in the, you know, in kind of the underwriting process to generate these personalized offers. So, you know, kind of maybe just to answer the, the, the initial question. Yeah. No, it's not just about I, IoT. It could have a huge impact on underwriting as well. Got it. Okay. So, uh, yeah, and, and I firmly suspect that that will be the case. I think that part of the upside of this is if we can determine proxies for risk, proxies for this this sort of underwriting risk on the front end, we might be able to open up to new markets, people who don't have the kind of evidence we used to look at, but they have these little proxy data points that we've determined actually correlate to risk in a, in a broader way. And, and maybe we know when to say yes to those people, even though it's a very thin set of data on that person. I think that, that there's a revenue opportunity for underwriting, not just a risk reduction kind of better fit for the customer opportunity. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, if, if you think about it in, in kind of in insurance and in, um, you know, insurance, both in underwriting and in marketing and in, in a competitive environment, it's all about what's called de-averaging. So, you know, if I have a segment of individuals, if I can sub-segment them further and I identify two sub-segments that are different, then I could identify the lower risk one and offer them, a, obviously, a, something that's uh, much more appealing to them. And hence, there's a very strong business revenue opportunity there. Yep. And I think that that's kind of the appealing side that no matter how low your fraud is, although fraud is a huge expense, no matter how low it is, if your competitors in the insurance space are using AI to win new business, then even if they have a bit more fraud than you, if they're gobbling up market share, you may not win by playing defense. So it feels like the underwriting side is going to be increasingly important. I guess we'll end on this. What do you think is going to have to happen for that to take hold? Like you said, the system's up front. We feel very confident about them. Black boxes are scary. What's going to have to shift a little bit in the coming years uh, to make that underwriting and personalization side of things come to life? So that's a great question. I think there are a number of things. First of all, there's a change of mind shift. You know, I think a lot of the insurance companies, you're going to see some early adopters picking on this up this uh, quickly. So you need to see some early adopters adopting that. You'd need to see more adoption of AI-based tools, you know, more comprehensive data lakes, although a lot of, uh, actually a lot of uh, insurance companies have those today, but they're, they're kind of uh, still somewhat underutilized. Yeah. I think it's it's mostly driving, no pun intended, but but you need <laughs> to see some of the insurance companies driving some of the innovation through early adoption. And once they do and show what can be done, I think the rest of the market is going to pick up. Yep. It's that tipping point factor there. And uh, who knows exactly when and how that'll take, but at least some of the big boys are playing around with it. So I have my fingers crossed. We'll see more of it. Yaron, I know that's all we have for time, but thank you so much for sharing your ideas here on AI and industry. Thanks. And thanks for having me today.
So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode where we focused on financial services, be sure to check out our other podcast. It's called AI in Financial Services. If you're not already subscribed to that show, you can find it on Emerge.com. Go to Emerge.com. You'll see podcasts in the main menu. You can click on it in the menu there, and you can subscribe on any platform you like, or you can search right within iTunes or right within SoundCloud, AI in Financial Services, and you'll find that podcast as well. If you like what we do here, again, these episodes tend to be more based on use cases, our, our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday episode. Normally, it's just Tuesday we do use cases, but today we did three. If you like these use case-focused episodes, there's a lot more of that specific to banking, insurance, and wealth management in the AI and Financial Services podcast. So go ahead and subscribe over there if you haven't already. And otherwise, stay tuned for tomorrow. Remember, every Thursday, we cover making the business case. How do we actually get the C-suite to say yes to a project? That means we need to understand AI adoption. We need to understand how to sell AI, how to buy AI, how to make a proper ROI case. And tomorrow, we're going to be breaking down the basic steps for making the business case. That is to say, what do we need to have ready to be able to get the C-suite to say yes? So that's going to be broken down into three phases in our episode for tomorrow. We have an excellent return guest who's going to be breaking that process down in depth. So if you sell AI products or services, you don't want to miss this one coming up on Thursday. And if you're thinking about buying them, you should probably tune in as well. So tomorrow's episode is making the business case in AI. Hope you've enjoyed this series. Looking forward to catching you tomorrow.